Well, good morning. It's uh, good to be with you once again. And thank God for all of His blessings to us. We should never take for granted uh, the opportunity that we have when we gather with God's people and to worship Him. Amen. Uh, we never know um, when it will be the last time, but we thank God for this opportunity. We have been looking at the book of Romans, and we turn our attention there once again to Romans chapter 6. And just before we pray, let's uh, read the text we'll be considering this morning. Romans chapter 6, verses 15 through 23. Verse number 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that, though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves. Just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to every increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did it reap you at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. Let's just acknowledge the Lord in prayer. Dear God, we thank you once again for allowing us to be here. Thank you for your blessings to us. And Father, now we've come to the highlight of this service, and that is your word. Father, I pray that you prepare our hearts to hear from you. Dear God, be with everyone in this room right now. I pray, dear God, that you would really speak to each and every one of our hearts. Help us to hear from you. Dear God, I pray that you would be with me. I need you this morning. And as always, dear God, you know the physical limitations I'm struggling with, with a cold and cough. And I just pray, dear God, that you would strengthen my body. Help me to be able to declare the truth of your word in a very clear and powerful way. God, we love you. We appreciate you. We're so thankful to be gathered here today and ask that you administer to our hearts right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I do often seem to struggle with the cold here in Scotland. I love this country, but I really wish we could do something about the weather. <laughs> that would just be fantastic. But I know that God will bless us. The subject this morning is the liberating power of surrender. Uh, this title falls in the category of an oxymoron, two things that don't really seem to go together. Ordinarily, the ideal of liberty and surrender wouldn't be associated with one another. Surrender is associated with captivity bondage and the lack of freedom, not liberty. For example, if you think about someone surrendering to the police, they're going to be arrested. They're going to be, uh, have a loss of freedom and taken into control of the authorities. Or on a battlefield, 
if soldiers are to surrender, to put up the white flag, that results in their being uh, taken into captivity and they lose their freedom. So usually we don't think of freedom and surrender going together. Also, surrender doesn't usually get associated with power. When we think of surrender, we think of something that is passive and powerless. But our text this morning helps us to understand that we are never really free until we completely surrender our lives to God. And that's the point. We are never really free until we completely surrender our lives to God. Until we surrender our lives to God, we will remain the slaves of sin. Unless we surrender our lives to God, we will not experience the power to overcome temptation and sin in our life. Just to tie what we've looked at here in chapter 6 with what we've considered earlier. In chapter 3, Paul makes the point that a righteousness from God apart from law has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. The point Paul is making is that all who believe in Christ are declared righteous freely by His grace. He expressed it like this in Ephesians 2 and 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Paul had been making a point earlier in Romans that it wasn't observing the law. It wasn't being circumcised. It wasn't being a natural born Jew that brought about righteousness with God. But it was something that was brought about by God's grace through faith. Now I've used some terms here. I just want to take a moment to make sure everybody understands. Well, here's the first one here. The first term is righteousness. Righteousness describes a legal term meaning right standing before God. In today's court, it would be declared not guilty. That's what it means to be righteous. So when we are righteous in the sight of God, God has looked upon us. And because of our faith in his son and what Jesus did on the cross, he declares us no longer guilty. We're not guilty. The next word to look at here is grace. Grace is defined as unmerited favor, given something you don't deserve. So when the scripture says it is by grace you have been saved, that means that we're saved not because we're good, not because we earned it or, or something we deserve, but it's a gift that God has given us. We couldn't be saved if it wasn't for God's grace. The next term we want to look at is saved. What does it mean to be saved? And this is a term actually we don't use as much as when I was growing up in the church. We always talked about people as being saved. Now people usually say they're Christian. But to be saved is to be delivered from the penalty and power of sin. That's what we mean to be saved. That sin no longer has dominion over us. We have been saved from the penalty and power of sin. And then lastly, the term faith. Faith is belief and trust in Jesus Christ. And as we looked at a few Sundays ago on a Sunday night, that faith is not just saying you believe something with your mouth, it's committing your life to it. It's a much deeper belief than that. So these are the terms that we're using here today. And the point that Paul is making is that righteousness, being made right with God, having our sins forgiven, our relationship with God restored, came not through their own efforts or observing the law, but by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Salvation is not something they could work towards, earn, but it's a gift that comes from God. Well, that raises a very important question, which Paul transitions to in chapter 6. If salvation is the result of God's grace, 
and not their own merits. Does that mean that it didn't matter how they lived? If they were no longer to observe the law, did that mean they didn't have to live by the moral code in the law, like the Ten Commandments, that they were free to just do whatever they want? Well, Paul emphatically states, by no means. Just because they, had no long, they no longer had to observe the law as a way to righteousness didn't mean that they were free to live in sin. Just because salvation was a gift rather than something they earned didn't mean they could continue to live a life of sin. And Paul makes three points why this is true. Why that although they didn't have to worry about observing the law and trying to earn God's favor and follow a set of rules that they still had to live a life free from sin. And the reasons are these. In verse 16, look with me there. It says, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. They would become slaves to whatever they chose to obey. And he tells them that you can't live in sin because if you give yourself to sin, you'll become a slave to sin. In verse 17, he goes on to say, But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. They could no longer live in sin or commit sin because they had been set free from sin and had become the slaves of righteousness. And then in verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sin brings death. That happened in the very beginning with Adam and Eve. Their sin ushered in natural death into the world. If it wasn't for sin, we would all live forever. But not only does sin bring natural death, but sin brings spiritual death. Separation from God. But righteousness brings eternal life. Paul's question in verse 15, and go back and let's read it again. What then shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? That applies to us today. Does the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ, does the fact that we don't live our, law, our lives trying to adhere to some written code of do's and don'ts, does that mean then that we can sin? That it doesn't matter how we live? Does the fact that God's grace is available to us and that where sin did abound, grace did much more abound? Does that mean then that we can live in sin because God's grace will cover every sin? Paul says emphatically no. Now let's look a, a bit closer at what this means for us today. And going back to verse number 16. The first point Paul makes is that everyone is a slave. Now that's not a very politically correct term to use today. But what Paul meant by that is that everyone is under the control of either Satan or God. The world really can be divided into two camps of people. Those who are under the influence of Satan. Those who are under the control of sin and slaves to their sinful nature. And those who have been saved from sin. There is no middle ground. Either today you are someone who has been freed from sin. And sin no longer has control and domination of your life. Or you are someone who has been set free from sin and now under the control of God. If we begin to allow ourselves or give ourselves to sin, we'll once again become slaves to sin. If we commit ourselves to obedience to God, we become slaves to righteousness. 
Verse 17, he goes on to expand on this even further. We read it a moment ago. We used to be slaves to sin, but we wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which we were entrusted. Christians used to be slaves to sin, but have now been set free. There's no such thing as a Christian who is still a slave to sin. Once we accept Jesus Christ into our life, our sins are forgiven, our relationship with God is restored, the Spirit of God comes in and gives us the power to live a holy life in this world. <clears throat> Excuse me, Jesus died to save us from both the penalty of our sin, eternal separation and eternal judgment in hell, and the power of sin, so that sin will no longer have control over us. Now that doesn't mean as Christians we never sin, but we have been freed from the power and the dominion of sin in our life. But it's important that each and every one of us as Christians make sure that this is a real and present reality in our life. I think there are so many promises in Scripture that unfortunately too many Christians aren't really achieving and experiencing the promise of God's peace, the promise of joy, the promise of forgiveness, the promise of hope, all of these things. And the promise that God not only forgives our sin, but that he delivers us from the power of sin. So how do we make sure that this, this power, this promise is a re reality in our life? Well, in verses 19 through 20, Paul says this, Just as we used to offer our bodies to unrighteousness, sin, now we must offer or surrender our bodies to God. Here's the key. We find freedom from sin, power over sin, through surrender to God. The more we surrender our lives to God, surrender our will, our desires, our ambitions, our goals, everything about us, the more we surrender our lives to Him, the greater freedom we'll experience. This doesn't happen in an instant. In an instant, we are freed from the power of sin. But experiencing that power in our life is a process called spiritual growth. As we learn more and more how to access and apply that power in our life. An example of this is the children of Israel. They were delivered from Egypt. But it took God 40 years to get Egypt out of them. And that's how God works in our life as well. We have been saved from sin, taken out of sin. But God still got to get some of that sin out of us. That's what sanctification, spiritual growth is all about. And the more we give ourselves to God through obedience, the more we become slaves to righteousness. <coughs> Excuse me. Sheila was mentioning earlier about a study on habits or getting rid of certain habits and developing new ones. Well, living for God is a habit. We can develop habits of spiritual growth, spiritual disciplines. We can have a habit of reading our Bibles and praying and, and spending time in fellowship and all of these things that really strengthen and promote spiritual growth. And then we can get rid of some bad habits that take away from our spiritual life. And this is so important. The more we give ourselves to God, the more we will become slaves to righteousness. My dad had an expression that I think is so key. What you feed will grow. What you starve will die. If you feed your spiritual man, that man will grow. That part of you will grow. But if you feed the natural part, then that will grow. And we feed either our spiritual man or the natural man through all kinds of things that we do and experience. 
For instance, we can feed our sinful nature through our thoughts. If we allow ourselves to think evil thoughts and fantasize on the wrong things, we can even feed that natural man through our environment, places we go, people we associate with, and things that we get involved in. And some of it is not sinful things, but it can still just not be beneficial. I know I've been challenged sometimes about a television show I might watch that may have too much uh, of the bad things in it, the wrong things. And, and the Spirit of God just quickened that, you know, this is really not helpful to your spiritual life. But if you spend that same time reading God's Word or in prayer, then that will build up the spiritual man. And if a person feels like they really struggle over temptation, then what we have to do is look at what are we feeding. If we're feeding the wrong thing, that thing will become so strong that it will feel like we're powerless to it. But if we starve that thing in our life and feed our spiritual man, then suddenly that thing will be very weak in our life and the Spirit of God will be much stronger. Amen? Amen. What you feed will grow. What you starve will die. We feed the spiritual nature through things like prayer, Bible reading, fellowship, service, worship of God, all of these things. Being here today, you're feeding the spiritual man. But it's important to make sure that you don't feed the spiritual man for just one hour on a Sunday. And then feed the sinful nature for 120 hours throughout the week. Who's going to be the stronger in your life if you do that? And unfortunately, that's how many Christians live. They give God a very little slice of their time in the week. And then the rest of the time is building up the wrong thing. The next point is in verse 21. Paul says, the reason we can't give in to sin and continue to live in sin is because there is no benefit to being a slave to sin, being controlled by sin. But there are consequences. When we look back at our life of sin, what did we benefit? The things that we're ashamed of today? Have you ever done anything and then look back and think, that was really stupid? I didn't even enjoy it. And now I'm paying a price for it. There are consequences to sin. Unpleasant consequences. I guess God is just bringing me some of the things my dad used to say when he would preach on this subject. Because I thought about how he often would say sin would take you further than you want to go. Keep you longer than you care to stay. And make you pay a price you didn't intend to pay. I know we all can say amen to that. Sin results in spiritual death. Separation from God and death to righteousness. In other words, death to righteousness means that we become unresponsive to the voice of God and to the Spirit of God. Can you remember a time in your life when you sat in a church service and the message and the songs meant nothing to you? They didn't move you at all? You almost felt like they were speaking a different language or you didn't get it? You may see other people worshiping, being emotional, and it's like, why are they doing that? Why are they so happy or why are they so moved by that? That's what it means to be dead to righteousness. You're unresponsive to God's love, His pull, His call. But then when our hearts are changed and we become slaves to righteousness and dead to sin, now the things of God, they do move us. We do respond to us. Even a Christian song can move us to tears. God's word just brings a longing for Him. And now what has happened is the things of the world, they're dead to us. They don't have the same pull, the same attraction in our life that they once had before. There's no benefit to being a slave to sin, but severe consequences. But ultimately, 
sin will lead to eternal separation from God in hell. You can't live in this world wrong and die right. You can't spend your whole life separated from God and then die and go and be with Him in eternity. God doesn't send anybody to hell. Not a single person. In fact, God has worked overtime to make sure nobody goes to hell. But people will be eternally lost because they chose to live a life apart from God in this life. And if you live a life apart from God in this world, then you'll do the same in eternity as well. But if you live in relationship with God in this life, you'll be in relationship with Him for all of eternity. And this is what Paul says in verse 22. There are profound benefits to surrendering to God. The main one we're talking about here today is you find real power and freedom and liberty in surrendering to God. When we surrender to our flesh, to our evil desires, our evil nature, sinful nature, it brings a lot of bad things in our life, a lot of bad consequences. It brings separation from God, shame, guilt, regret. We, we harm other people. But we surrender to God, it brings peace, joy, love, long-suffering, gentleness, faith, patience, all of these things. It brings real freedom. And there are people who are desperate to be free. They feel like they've never ever been free in their life. They've always been under the bondage and control of something in their life where freedom is found through surrender to God. Total obedience to God leads to holiness. It leads to being more and more like Jesus Christ. And that's the goal. That's the goal of us as Christians, is to be imitators of God and live a life of love. To become more and more like Him so that our lives reflect God's character and His nature. That we reflect that we are made in His image, and that He is our Father. And then the ultimate reward is eternal life. What a wonderful thing to know that when we breathe our last breath, that's not the end for us. That we'll be ushered into the very presence of God. And spend all of eternity with Him. Amen? That's what surrender brings in our life. Paul concludes with verse 23. He says that what we deserve to get, that's our wages, is death. Physical death, spiritual death. But instead of giving us what we deserve, what we've earned, God gives us a gift of eternal life. And that happens when we put our faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. That's, that, that's why there's no excuse. What more can God do? He says, you've earned death. That's what you've worked for. But I've sent my Son to down the cross for your sins. You just put your faith in Him, I'm going to give you something you didn't deserve. How many of you, this week on Friday when you get your paycheck... If you get a direct deposit into the account or a physical check, how would you like if it had like 10 times as much money as you was expecting? <laughs> and the boss said, that's a gift. You know, I know you're normally used to getting X amount this week, but we just decided we're going to give you 10 times that this week. Just because we just like you. Anybody would turn that down? <laughs> no, we would like that. But isn't that what God does? All of our sinfulness... All the times we failed Him, all of the wrong things we've done, all that we have earned is God's judgment and death. And God says, you know what? Because of my Son, you put your faith in Him, I'm going to give you the whole, the, the riches of heaven. All that I can give you. 
What a wonderful thought. Well, let me just conclude by putting Paul's question another way. Because we've been talking about how that although we're no longer under the law, now under God's grace, we still can't live in sin. But is it normal for a Christian to struggle with sin? Just accept it? Well, I think the answer is yes and no. Actually, for some people, struggling with sin can be a sign of spiritual growth. Because there's a time in their life where they didn't struggle with sin. (laughs) Not at all. Temptation came, they just gave in to it. No struggle, no doubt, nothing. Just whatever came to their mind, whatever they were big, big and bad enough to do, they just did it. They really didn't think too much about it. But because of the change in their heart, because they're now been freed from the control of sin, dead to sin, alive to Christ, when temptation comes, there's a bit of a struggle there. They don't just give in to it right away. There's some wrestling with that and knowing that this isn't wrong. Many of us have reached a place in Christ where we could never sin without guilt or shame or just freely. Those days are long gone because we know too much. We have come too far in Christ. That's the sign of spiritual growth. And as Christians, we will always be tempted to sin. None of us will live a perfectly sinless life. But here's the other thing, which is why I say yes and no. We must never accept that giving in to sin continuously is an acceptable response to temptation. It's not. We must never accept that, yeah, I'm just going to sin more or less every day. And every time this temptation comes, I'm just going to give in to it. And even as Christians, you can have peers in your life where Satan will try to convince you that there is something in your life that is too powerful to overcome. That there's some temptation you're dealing with that you will deal with for the rest of your life and you will never ever be able to have victory over it. We must never accept that. We must continue to trust God that His Word is true. That we have been set free from the power of sin. Sin no longer has dominion over us. And then we must learn how to apply that into our lives so that it becomes a real and present reality. James chapter 4 verse 7 says this. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. We have the power, not in our own strength. We can't do it. I know I've tried. It doesn't work. (laughs) But we do have the power through the power of the Holy Spirit to say no to temptation and to live a godly life right here in this present world. I hope you'll come back tonight because I want to talk a little bit more about that and look at temptation. The nature of temptation, the types of temptation and how we can resist it in our life. Excuse me, but let me just conclude by saying this. A a (coughs) non-Christian who wants to experience God's liberating power must begin by acknowledging that they are a sinner. Confessing their sins and asking God to forgive them. And telling God that they're sorry for the things they've done and they want to be freed from it. And also telling God that they've put their faith in Jesus Christ. And if you do that, you'll be saved. Your sins will be forgiven and you will instantly be set free from sin. The power of the Holy Spirit will be in you. And then it will be a process of learning how to live with that power. And to make it real in your life. 
But if you're a Christian and you're really struggling with temptation, the thing to do is to acknowledge that to God. Repent of it. Don't ever accept that just living in sin is okay. We've got to realize that there's something in our life that we need to repent of it and deal with it. Sometimes it may be necessary to confess it to someone else and ask them to pray with you and help you. It may be whatever, a lot of different things, and we'll talk about some of that tonight, but how you address it, but it must be addressed. But then the main thing is we're talking about this morning is that examine your heart. Is there an area of your life that you haven't surrendered to God? It could be some small thing that is leading to a bigger thing. We only experience God's power in our life through total surrender. True freedom and real power comes when we completely surrender our lives to God. That's the challenge for us today. Have you surrendered? Are you experiencing the liberating power that Jesus Christ died to give? Is there something that's holding that back in your life? If it is, I want to encourage you to be honest with God and honest with yourself and ask Him to show you and then deal with it. Repent of it. Turn away from it. And trust Him that He can give you the victory over that in your life. Amen. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me as we close in prayer? Let's pray together. Dear God, we thank You so much for... Your word, thank you for both the challenge and the encouragement. The challenge to know, dear God, that the answer to the question, shall we continue in sin, is no. That your son came to down the cross to set us free from sin so that we could then be under the control of righteousness. And Father, I pray that you'd help us all to examine our hearts and to surrender anything to you that's not right. Father, thank you for those who raised their hand, just acknowledging that, yes, God, I've heard you today. And I want to surrender everything in my life to you and experience your power in a greater way. Father, I just bless them for their courage and their honesty. And I pray, Lord, that you will bless them, dear God, by just showing them exactly what they need to do. I know, dear God, even now, as they've expressed this, you've forgiven them. And now all you want to do is help them to be everything that you created them to be. Father, bless you for that. Lord, I also just pray for those who, in their own hearts, know that there's just something keeping them from being all that you would have them to be in this world. Help us to surrender everything that's not like you. And Father, I thank you for the encouragement of your word to know that we don't have to be slaves to sin. We don't have to have the can't help us. We don't have to be bound by old desires and attitudes. Whatever it may be, unforgiveness, envy, guilt, shame, that you came to set us free. Help us to walk in the reality of that. Help us to have victory in our life each and every day. Father, we love you. We appreciate you. Thank you for your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.